It's Shine 104.9 in Spokane and Coeur d'Alene. With the render Ray, Darren Potzer, our general manager, he's here with us this afternoon, too. And a special guest, I'm so excited to introduce you to Jules. You might know Julie Garcia of Jules Helping Hands. Welcome, Jules. Oh, welcome. Thank you for having now, me. Should I call you Jules or Julie? Jules or Julie. Either one works. <laughs> but first of all, just so the audience kind of knows what we're talking about, in like one sentence, how would you describe what Jules Helping Hands is? We refer people to services with kindness, compassion, and respect, getting people connected to the services that already exist in our city. We run nine different programs. So currently we're running a non-city funded warming center that houses 40 beds, 18 and older, low barrier, nightly low barriers. So the difference in shelters is there's low barrier and a regular shelter. One of the barriers is some shelters require people to be sober. So they drug test when they come in. Some other barriers are gender in one, men and women, children, families. Ours is as low barrier as we can possibly be. And ours is anybody in any condition. If you're breathing, you could come into our center. We do not have no barriers, so there's three rules to stay with us. One is that you don't buy, use, or sell drugs on our property. That will get you kicked out of our place. Two, that you can maintain through the night to provide a safe space for 40 other people. So no hitting, yelling, screaming, fighting. And three, because we are in a neighborhood and we have neighbors and we try to be good neighbors, we also require our guests once they've checked in at 4 p.m. to stay on our premises until 6.01 in the morning. Julie, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us about (laughs) Julie Garcia and what's your story? How did you get involved with, with all this work that you have, all this compassionate work with the homeless? And tell us a little bit more about Jules Helping Hands. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in a small town. Um, There weren't people experiencing homelessness where I lived because there they were just your neighbors that struggled. And they stayed on our couch or we helped others figure out solutions to their problems. There wasn't this gigantic homeless population that we see now. It's not where I grew up. So coming here, I have eight of 10 ACEs scores. So technically I should be right alongside them in their journeys. What does that mean? ACEs scores is how science determines your pre-existing tendencies to... Like what you might be predestined for. All of your experience in childhood. Mm. One of them is, is your parents, were your parents in prison during the time that you, were you ever felt unsafe in your home? You can look up all 10, the 10 questions are always the same and it gives an ACEs score. So if you're a youth and you get in trouble in Spokane or Spokane County, most of the United States, the first thing that they do is an ACEs score test. Mm. And what was your score again? Eight of 10. Wow. I have a lot of adverse childhood trauma working against me and a lifetime of bad decisions got me to become a single mom of four and not sure exactly what I was going to do with my life. I started handing out sandwiches outside of the House of Charity and that's what I did for quite a long time and then I realized people were cold. So I started bringing clothes and one carload of sandwiches and clothes turned into two truckloads and then three truckloads. And I've exhausted all my options with family and friends asking for their clothing and blankets. <laughs> and so I just decided to ask all of Spokane. 
So that's when I went on a social media frenzy and just started asking for donations, anybody to donate leftover clothing, clothes you're not using, blankets, anything that people experiencing homelessness could use. About how long ago was that? That was three years ago. Okay. So three years ago, I started in my garage with people just dropping stuff off, things they couldn't use, and we learned how to repurpose things. It started our journey on learning how to use grants and funding to serve our purpose. And our purpose was to serve homeless people where they were at. And where is that? Where are you located? We currently are located on Jefferson Street in Spokane, and that is a home. People experiencing homelessness live in that home with, along with myself and my family. We have a no-barrier food bank and clothing bank that runs out of the back building there. Those two things last year served 330,000 pounds of food into our community. Wow. Um, all delivered. We do food boxes for anybody. There's zero requirement to get a food box from us. You just show up and tell us you need food. And we can meet your specific situation. If you're homeless and can't cook, we can make a box for you that doesn't require cooking. If you have a home, we can make a box that will give you food for the week for your family. Where does all that food come from? We use repurposed foods. So restaurants, when they're done at the end of the night, they have a lot of food that they can't use. Oh. We actually shop at a nonprofit for a nonprofit. So Feed Spokane is a nonprofit for nonprofits. It goes around and collects all of those restaurant foods mm. and and then we, as nonprofits, can go shop there once a week and get the things that we need. So you guys are eating pretty good then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we are able to provide meals. We do nightly outreach. So uh -huh. we do 100 meals a night to people still living unsheltered. Mm. We provide three meals a day for the folks staying at our center. And that's 40 to 50 people a day for three each mill because we don't just limit our food to the people staying at our center. If you need a mill and you have nowhere to eat, you can come into any of our meal times and eat dinner or get food or pick up a box or take home food. How many staff does Jewel's Helping Hands have? Well, for 90% of the year, we are run on volunteers. We get funding periodically, and that's how we're funding right now our employees. But there's about 18 of us, and we run nine programs every week. Our mobile shower unit was donated when we ran the Cannon Warming Center last winter for the city of Spokane mm -hmm. because we didn't have showers in our building. So what is that exactly? Is it like a motor home and it's got it's a shower? It's kind of like a motor or... home. It is a trailer. We have one that has four shower stalls and one that has two. Uh -huh. We use the one that has two most often because it's solar powered oh. and it also has insta hot water heaters. Wow. So we never run out of hot water. It's run on propane. It doesn't need anything to run. We prefer it to be hooked to a water outlet so that we can do more showers, but as is sitting with the heater that it has right now, it can do 15 to 20 showers mm. without refilling. And then do you say uh, no hour long showers here? <laughs> Depending folks. on where we are and what location is how long we allow people to shower. To us, it doesn't matter how long folks oh. shower, but we do ask that they be respectful to the other people in right, line. Right, right. Did you happen to bring that 
mobile shower with you. I noticed Lorinda was running kind of late this evening and she was, you know, had really worked up a sweat hey. when she came into the studio. Well, it's nicer than my shower at home. I'll wow. tell you that. It oh is, my goodness. It is a beautiful unit. It was built specifically for us. So it was built for this weather here in Spokane. Our problem with our big shower trailer that was donated by the Guardians Foundation in 2019 is that it can't run under 32 degrees. The water freezes oh. in the lines. You side. just park it? I mean, just you go down, you know where these people are, and so you take it down there a yeah. few days a week or something? Well, we just... do seven locations six days a week. So mm -hmm. our community partners have allowed us to consistently come to the same places. Mm -hmm. Most of them are churches, and they host our shower trailer one day a week. So we will be at Valley Assembly of God out on Sullivan, and we'll be at River City Church in Spokane. We've learned that consistency with our houseless friends is what builds relationships and trust. If we say we're going to be somewhere, we are there. What a miracle, you know, because I could see where a lot of folks that are living homeless, they, they have access to food and such, but to have a shower, that we're is miraculous. We're the only free shower bet. in Spokane County that's outside of a shelter. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happens in the winter? I often think, man, there's all these homeless people that you see around the streets of Spokane. Some of the nights in the winter get down into the, the single digits or, or less with the wind and all. Well, right now, in our current shelter system, only 50% of the counted homeless have access to beds. So already going into the winter, 52% are not going to have a bed available mm. if they should happen to need one. City-funded warming centers have been Spokane's answer for the last few years. I'm not a big fan of city even though I ran one, a city-funded warming center, simply for the fact that our organization, the, what one of our key goals in doing this is to prove that homeless services can be fiscally responsible, not only to taxpayers, but to our community. The amount of money that we spend on city-funded warming centers could fund shelters for long periods of time. An example being the current city-funded warming centers contract was for $740,000 for seven months. We run a 40-bed facility for $26,000 a month. Mm. And so it is really the difference between the community solutions community stepping in, churches and organizations stepping in to help as compared to the government funding the whole thing. Wow. And that's where we come along and it's our job to keep them alive mm. until there's a better solution. A little background, if you're homeless and you don't have your basic needs met, there's no way to move forward. Science and data has proven that if our basic needs, if they're not met, we can't address underlying issues. If you don't have access to food, a safe place to sleep, clothing, anything that you would consider a basic need. So we have a clothing bank that provides free clothing to anybody who shows up to a shower location, to our shelter. We can deliver it. They can come pick it up any way that we can get it. Our, oh, we just look, yeah. get rid of every barrier. That's great. So they can go get a shower and then have fresh clothes yes, to put on. That is wow. Nobody wants to take a shower and put on dirty right. underwear. I mean, it's just not nobody wants to do that. Right, so right. we provide all of those things when they come to shower. We provide their shampoo. We can provide clothing. We can provide shoes, um, things that they can take with them, toothbrushes, anything that is a basic need we provide. The website again? 
jewelshelpinghands.org. And so you guys must be working just to the point of exhaustion. Is it me or does it seem like there's far more homeless on the streets than there used to be? It seems like I'm seeing more and more. Well, we see an increase every year. And with the COVID pandemic, it has really highlighted where we're missing opportunities. The point in time count is the count that the city does every year. On one day in January, they count all homeless people they can find. Mm -hmm. And our number this year was 1,559. That's an increase from last year, but that's Mm. not the actual number of people experiencing homelessness in our county. The way that we determine homelessness is really the definition, how HUD defines homeless. In 2019, they came up with the number 11,083 people experiencing homelessness in our county, which is quite a difference from the 1559. Yeah. Yeah. Julie's Helping Hands is such a wonderful ministry we're hearing from today. What would you say is some of the cause of why the increase? Well, affordable housing being one, Spokane really struggles with affordable housing. We're at less than 1%. And now that COVID has hit, we're even lower than that. Right now in Spokane County, finding a home that's available under 300000 is very impossible at the moment. Yeah, I was reading an article. There's more realtors in town than there are houses for yes. sale. Well, we have, a, we have a trickle-up economy. The way that it works is people get an apartment, and then they make more money, and they move into their first home. And then their first home, they move into a bigger home. So there's the availability once they move up. Well, right now, with the economy and COVID the way that it is, nobody's moving anywhere. So there's nothing becoming available. Mm -hmm. And then that trickles down to people experiencing homelessness and finding them housing is nearly impossible during the COVID pandemic. So that's one cause. Jewel's helping hands, sharing with us about homelessness. What would you say are some of the other causes that's causing this increase? Is it mental illness? Well, I see two common denominators in homelessness. One is loss of community, people who have lost connections with their family, with their community, regardless of the reason, and adverse childhood trauma. Have some kind of traumatic experience. And for my own self, this is how I learned how to heal so that I could help others. Understanding where what trauma does to affect myself. My reaction every time something triggers me to that same feeling I had during a traumatic event is a response. And my response is always the same because it's practiced. It's a habit. We learn it. We teach our brains how to do Mm -hmm. it. And in order to address trauma, we have to first be able to figure out what the trauma is. And second, how do we respond differently to it? A lot of folks have spent a lot of time figuring out ways to get people out of homelessness, but they've never really addressed the reason is why people became homeless in the first place. Mm. I'm a single mom with four kids. I was in an abusive and toxic marriage for 16 years. And leaving that, I should have become homeless. The only reason I did not become an addict is because I tried drug drugs once and realized I liked them so much I knew I couldn't use them again, only because I had that sense about me at the time. Wow, that was but smart to do that. I still was in that, the same position they are in, and I couldn't figure out why I didn't end up homeless. And I, after a lot of time of 
researching and praying and talking to other people, I realized it's because I had a support system. I had people who loved me even when I didn't love me. And I had a solid foundation. I grew up in the church, which guided me through all of the same things that our homeless folks face every day. Mm. And so I came to become one of those people for them. Such yeah, a, so that that's where I really sense your passion because you seem extremely passionate. Yeah. Like you were mentioning earlier, this isn't a job. This yeah. is who you are. Uh, this is this and, is definitely not a job for me. This is a 24-hour-a-day lifestyle. So if I was to ask Julie Garcia, Jules, why do you do what you do? What would be your answer? Because God loved me hmm. when I wasn't lovable. Or at least I didn't think I was lovable. Wow. There's a lot of preachers out on the mm. street. There's a lot of pastors out on the street, a lot of people preaching the gospel, but there's not a lot of helpers. So I don't want to be another voice preaching to our friends. I want to love them until they ask me why. You want to be the hands yeah. and the feet of Jesus. When they ask me why, oh, then I'll tell them why I do what I do. But until that point, I'm just going to love them. And that's, mm -hmm. that's been one of the important things for me is to love like Jesus does. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, if he were here today, where would he be? I don't believe he'd just be in the church where there's people that already know him. I think he'd be with the least of thee. Mm -hmm. And that's where I walk every day. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful ministry. I mean, it's mm -hmm. coming out of your hardships of your past. This is Jules Helping Hands, and her website is juleshelpinghands.org. If you don't mind my asking, Julie, you mentioned before I made some bad decisions. If there's some young people listening today, is there any advice or maybe some examples you would give of this is kind of what led me on the wrong path that I had to circle around and finally make it back? Well, I grew up in the church, so I grew up with a, a good, solid foundation of what relationship with God was like. I spent my entire life loving Jesus because I was told to love Jesus. I learned that that's what I should be doing. It wasn't until I was an adult that I had a personal relationship with Jesus, that I explored where that was going to see his work in my life when before it was just blinded by my own anger towards him for all of the things that apparently I had done and blamed him for doing. I'm not really sure still what my purpose or calling is, but I do believe I'm on the path to where he wants me to be just by the paths that he clears for myself mm -hmm. and for my organization. I don't plan for our future. I don't know where our next step is. I It's very hard being on the board of directors for my <laughs> nonprofit because they'll ask me, well, what's next year look like? I don't know. God guides us. And when I feel a calling towards something, I pursue it. And I rely on him to clear the path for that. Hmm. Yeah. So what was it that brought you back from your bad decisions? Mostly sadness. My old friend comes to visit, and I don't know how to rid myself of sadness, so I began to pray. And prayer opened my eyes to what I was doing that caused those things to happen, and a way to be able to change and heal and not have to continuously ask people to forgive me for my past. I learned how God forgives, and I ran with that. I know that we make mistakes daily. I fail him all the time, 
as long as I keep coming back, as long as I keep looking for the light, as long as I keep asking his direction, he leads me back to where I need to be. It's beautiful. What other types of things are you connecting them to? Or are you to so we're also a second chance employer. So every person that we employ has either experienced homelessness or struggled with addiction uh-huh. or has some criminal barrier to being employed at what we would consider a regular job. Mm-hmm. We've lowered our employment barriers down to only two. You're not currently using and that you have no crimes against a person. So you're not on a sexual offender registry because this is a vulnerable population. We employ folks experiencing homelessness and teach them how to become employable in Mm. regular jobs. And then they move, we move them on to jobs in our community. We do shelter staff and outreach. So that's where we start with our folks. Everything that would be associated with a shelter. So laundry, cooking, food, service, cleaning. We do community cleanups. They clean Spokane. We do outreach nightly to folks on the street. We provide showers. So at any of those places, they can work for us. Do they get paid or are they receiving food Mm -hmm. in exchange? No, they get paid actual and fair wages. We pay the minimum wage then we, they're able to have something on their resume to move them into other jobs. Old employees now work at Chaz. We have folks at the Guardians. We have folks in SNAP. We have folks mm. at Way Out Shelter. Our employees go other places after they're done with us. So that's one of the things that we refer to. Mm-hmm. We also refer to housing in which now during COVID has highlighted a lot of other things that everything's closed to people experiencing homelessness. There's no DSH office to walk into. Mm. You can't walk into a SNAP office. You can't go into Frontier Behavioral Health. So they've utilized outreach workers. So now outreach workers can come where people are. Lo- like yeah. like if they're on and a they're street in the woods. on the corner yes. of Wall yep. and Second Fourth and or Wall. something. And we, oh, okay. that, is their, that is where our outreach workers wow. go. We also partner with the street medical team from Gonzaga and WSU. Our doctors and medical students go out with us four days a week and they treat people where they're at. So they're able to assess for COVID. They're able to vaccinate folks. They're able to do minor mm. minor emergencies. They're able to prescribe medications. They're able to do rounds at the shelter. So we're not overutilizing the healthcare system that is already struggling as it is. Right. We refer to housing, places like SNAP, uh, mental health through Frontier, Um, drug treatment through CAT and STARS and SPARK. We work with anybody who works with homeless individuals. We actually put on backpacks and walk around. We go out farther than most outreach workers go. We serve all of Spokane County. So we go from out and we're in the woods in places that, not just downtown, because when people see homelessness, they think of the guy standing on the corner asking for money downtown. That's not all of homelessness. And homelessness ranges from children to the elderly. Some are in cars, some are on the street, some are in shelters, some are in camps, and we just go out and find them. So we trek through woods and everywhere to find them. So a curiosity question from your experience, from your perspective, what do you think is the percentage of homeless that are able to get out of homelessness and get a job? And then on the flip side, what is the survival rate of those that are living homeless? Well, we know that living outside, there's about four times 
more health concerns with people who live outside than people who are live in a stable home environment. Mm -hmm. So their health care is our number one priority. Yeah. So once they come into a shelter or we we build a strong enough trust with them to bring the medical doctors to them, their health is the first thing that we try to manage, getting people on medications that they've been off of or not on, any kind of minor emergency, or we can refer them to doctor's offices here in town that serve our folks as well. The Providence Free Clinic downtown, Chaz Denny Murphy Clinic downtown, those are walk-ins. So they can actually, we can actually walk them to the clinic and let them be seen. That's the, that's the amazing thing about our crew is everyone in our crew, including myself, have had lived experience. We've either been homeless, struggled with addiction, or have some kind of criminal background. We've gotten through the process already. So who yeah. better to navigate folks through that process than folks that have already yeah. exited right. their cycles of homelessness. So what can we do as a community? What can we do to help Jules Helping Hands? <laughs> so much. That is what we do. We ask anybody in our community to participate in any way that they can. And what we do is facilitate a safe way for people to do that. If you can donate clothes, we will take your clothing. If you can cook, we will take your food. If you have some money you want to donate, we will use your money. If you would you like to come in and learn more about what we do, our facility is open 24 seven. Mm. We don't close down and we welcome the community to come in and see what we do. Never just take my word about what's going out on the streets, I'll show you. Take you out on outreach if that's what you'd like to do. We will bring you into our shelter so you can meet our guests, we can share our stories. We want the community to participate because government solutions have not proven to work. Government provides lovely streets and infrastructure, but they've never been good on building one-on-one -on -one relationships. It's not what they do. So the community does, though. Hmm. And that's why we ask. One of the biggest things that helps people end their cycles of homelessness is a connection to their community, connection to other people who are succeeding. If you see struggle every day, if you're out on the streets and you're seeing people struggle and that's all you see, all you're going to know is struggle. It's like that yellow car analogy. You see a yellow car, you're looking for it, you're going to see yellow cars all over. Right. <laughs> Same thing with struggle. Yeah. If they actually see their peers, people that they consider their friends and neighbors advancing out of these cycles, it gives them hope that they can as well have something better someday. Mm, that's powerful. Where does your funding come from for Jules Helping Hands? Community. Our average donation is $20. We've managed to fund and run all of these programs utilizing just community donations. It's through incredible. our I was just looking at our numbers this morning. I was trying to write a grant and seventeen thousand six hundred and fifty two people have access beds with us in the last eighteen months. And mm. we've provided almost three hundred thousand pounds of food into our community to the food insecure, and we've provided over thirty five thousand showers in Spokane County in the last eighteen months. Shine has a gift that we want to give you today, Julie, and we're so grateful for what you're doing. Our board at the end of each year, if there's a surplus, 
We love to give back to ministries in the community. And so we have a Shine Gives Back program. And so we're going to give you a gift as you leave today. Oh, amazing. But we're so grateful that you came in. Can you just tell us if we see a homeless person on the street, you know, we see them when we drive by, maybe holding a sign at an intersection. Should we just drive by and figure we don't want to, you know, we don't want to add to the problem by giving them alcohol money or something? What would you say to us? The most important thing for people experiencing homelessness is you acknowledge that they exist. Make eye contact with people. Say hello, a wave, a hi. If you're if it, you're not comfortable being around homeless people, we're, we never ask anyone to come out of their comfort zone enough to walk up and talk to someone if that's not what you feel comfortable doing. But acknowledge that they exist. And that's important when you're out there and you're sitting alone on the side of a street and not one person has looked in your direction, you begin to feel like you're invisible. First, mm -hmm. acknowledging that they exist, sparking up a conversation, hearing a story, listening to a story, any of those things are, they'll change somebody's day just by a hello. That's the most important thing is how we tr see people is how we treat people. And we're trying to change the conversation from us versus them to all of us together coming up with solutions to actually end homelessness. Everyone has solutions and answers, but if there no one is addressing the root cause yeah. of why a person became homeless, it's gonna just be a cycle. They'll mm -hmm. get homeless, get housed, back out on mm. the street homeless, their mental health isn't addressed. None of those things are addressed. Yeah. So if you can address all of those problems, you can keep people from getting back into that cycle. Mm. They can actually exit and stay out hmm. of homelessness. Right. Brilliant. And it seems to me why it's it's wonderful to support a ministry like Jewel's Helping Hands because it's gonna change that person's life rather than just randomly crossing paths with them at some intersection and maybe giving them a few bucks. And if you want to see what we do, on if you have Facebook or access to Facebook, we have two pages on Facebook. Because we're a community-based organization, we're super transparent about how our money is spent. So when you donate money or goods to us, you're able to actually see where it's actually going. We actually take pictures. We actually talk to guests. If you look through those pages, you'll be able to see everything we do every day. Well, yeah, my $50 actually provided haircuts for these folks, or my $100 actually provided a bus pass for a month that's gonna get yeah. them somewhere they need. It feels wonderful. That would help with jobs. Yeah, and we want the people who donate to us to be able to see that and feel that as well. And now you're looking to make some expansions, right? We are working on a respite bed facility. So that's what we're trying to work towards right now. And that is a facility that will hold 20 to 30 people that are leaving the hospital with acute or non-acute medical conditions that need to be addressed somewhere safe and compassionate to heal right. before they're sent back out into the world. Right. When you have a surgery, you go home, you rest for four weeks, somebody helps take care of you, go to the doctor, we're providing that space for people as well. We're writing grants and looking for I space see. for those things. Okay, if uh, somebody listening right now would like to contribute to that, boy, I could see where that would be so needed. Isn't that sad to think somebody could have a surgery and then very they have no place to rest and recoup? If you come up to our center, we, have, we serve 40 guests a night. One third of our facility is people who could never live 
on their own. And in our shelter system, the way that it's set up, if you can't care for yourself, you can't go to shelters. So unless you're in a respite bed, if you can't get yourself to the bathroom, if you need help willing yourself in, mm-hmm. if you're incontinent, yeah. if you have dialysis on a regular basis, these are things that will ban you from being able to go into a regular shelter. Mm-hmm. Our shelter provides space for those folks. And that's one third of the 40 people that are staying with us. Wow. And that's only a small portion of the folks that get out of the hospital and go straight back down to downtown without their medical care being followed up on. Would you just share with us maybe in closing your website one more time and then just your final words that you'd like to share with the audience today? It's juleshelpinghands.org or on Facebook, it's just Jules Helping Hands. Our address of our center is 1428 West 9th and we are in the Women's Club building at this time. All I want to stress is the importance of that one statement. How we see people is how we treat people. Changing conversation to not us versus them, just all of us together as a community, as brothers and sisters helping each other. I I think that really, it even helps me hearing that because how we are looking at one another, are we looking at one another through Christ's eyes? or through judgmental eyes, how are we looking at these folks is gonna be how we treat them and address the issue and and our own level of compassion. And we thank you so very much, Julie Garcia. I kind of think your name ought to be Jules Angelic Warrior <laughs> Helping Hands because well, you, you are an amazing me. organization. And we thank you so much for the work that you guys are doing. So thank you so much, Julie Garcia of Jules Helping Hands. Shine one.